morning, church. Morning. It's a joy and honor to be with you guys this morning. I appreciate Pastor Craig allowing me the opportunity to get behind the pulpit and share the word. And uh, anyone here sitting through my sermon for the second time, I just need to know. That's what I thought. There's good news and bad news. Bad news is, honey, you're sitting through my sermon for a second time. Good news is, I missed the part the first time, you're going to hear the second time. So anyway, that's just a little heads up there, a little, little excitement there. But uh, it's funny, as I was thinking about uh, you know, what to share and, and uh, put things together, I, I, I asked Brother Daniel here, I said, hey, uh, I'm thinking about preaching Psalm 1. What did Brother Craig preach on uh, the, the other Sunday? He said, Psalm 1. I went, ooh, okay. Uh, so uh, I, I came to church last week, make sure <laughs> where he was preaching so I'd know where to be this Sunday. So this Sunday, I'm going to be Psalm 33. But it's a joy to be with you guys. I'm one of your state missionaries. Actually, you have four state missionaries in your church. You have Beverly and Warren Skinner, uh, me and Daphne Youngblood. And, you know, we've got a fifth state missionary, Daniel, who's here, but he's not a member. So no pressure, brother. I'm just saying that, uh, you know, five would be a five-chord strong, you know. But anyway, I'm just... Uh, Anyway, thank you, brother, for the encouragement sitting on the front. But um, also, if you have your sermon notes and you're thinking about a sermon in a sentence that Brother Pastor Craig does so well for us, uh, it didn't happen. And so um, if you look, in fact, you'll see Rejoice, a sermon by Marty Youngblood, Scripture, Psalm 33, 1 through 22. And I know many of you are thinking, this man has no idea what he's going to say. <laughs> I know, I know. I, you know, and, and, and my wife often thinks the same thing after I've preached. This man has no idea what he's going to say. But it is a joy to be with you guys, and it's a joy to... We have been a part of this church since uh, February, and, and just a delight uh, to, to be a part of this body. I'm honored to be a part of this body. We've got great Sunday school teachers and, uh, and great staff and, and our pastor, certainly, and, and congregation. So it's a, it's a real uh, honor to be with you guys this morning. If you have the Scriptures, and I hope you do, uh, take and turn to Psalm 33. As I was thinking about what I wanted to share with you guys, I wanted to bring something that hopefully encourage you, maybe challenge you a little bit, uh, looking into... 2017 and, and what we face uh, as individuals, as a church, uh, as a nation. And so, uh, and hopefully these verses today will be something that will encourage you uh, where to put your focus. And uh, beginning in Psalm 33, verse 1. It says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for the praise of the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with a harp, make melody to Him with an instrument of ten strings, sing to Him a new song, play skillfully with a shout of joy. Verse 4 tells us, for the word of the Lord is right, and all His work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. He gathers the water of the sea together as a heap. He lays up in the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Verse 10. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people He has chosen for His own inheritance. Verse 13 says, The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men from the place of His dwelling. He looks on the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by a multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety, and neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Verse 20, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help, our shield, for our hearts shall rejoice in Him. 
because we've trusted in His holy name. Let Your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in You. Let's pray. Father, we love You. More importantly, You love us, and that's a good word, that You first loved us. You gave us Jesus, Holy Spirit, the Word, so many things, church. And Lord, I pray that in my heart, in our hearts this morning, that You would speak to us afresh from Your Word, by Your Holy Spirit. Uh, God, I pray You would draw us in the places that we need to be drawn and move us into the places that we need to move according to Your will and purpose for our lives. God, thank You for Your love and grace in this church, and I pray Your continued blessing and protection and guidance. And so far, we love You and we bless You. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I love this passage because I read this passage, and to me, it's the sermon. It's what we need to hear, just God's holy word. But if we begin at the very beginning, we need to understand that this psalm is kind of sandwiched between the psalms before, psalms after. And in those psalms, it it identifies David as the author. It identifies the occasions for which they were written. This one doesn't identify the author and doesn't really discuss the occasion. But I'm convinced it's the inerrant, infallible word of God regardless if it doesn't state who the author is. And I believe it to be from David's heart because of the occasion. I think it's just an outpouring of David's response to God's greatness of who he is and who he's been to him. And I love it here in in this psalm that he begins in in the very verse 1 here. It says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for the praise from the upright is beautiful. I love that. The word rejoice there means to shout, to sing with joy. Will does such a great job leading us in music and worship and our times as we get preparation for the Word of God to be spoken to us by Pastor Craig. I love the, the excitement. One of the things that drew us here was the joy, the excitement that we sense when we come to worship corporately as the body of Christ. You see, it says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for the praise of the upright is beautiful. I love Psalm 22. reminds us that, that God inhabits the praise of His people. Now, when it means He inhabits, it means He gets next to you. He gets close with you. But think about that when we begin to praise the God of all creation, that He inclines Himself. He lends down His ear close to us to hear our words back to Him in praise, glory, and adoration. He enjoys that. It brings Him joy and delight. And it causes intimacy and closeness with His children. I love that there are so many reasons that you and I need to rejoice in the Lord as we look forward. And we need to cry out with our voices and sing with our voices and play instruments unto Him. If you move forward in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talks about it in Philippians 4, 4, says, Rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. That's coming off the heels of, of 320 where he's talking about being a, a citizen in the kingdom of God. If there's anything you need to rejoice in this morning, you can certainly rejoice in being a citizen in the kingdom of God if you're a child of God. You see, we rejoice that we were given Jesus. We rejoice we were given the Holy Spirit. We rejoice that we were given this Word and so many other things. And in the Scriptures this morning, I'm going to talk about rejoicing in the Word, rejoicing in His sovereignty, rejoicing in His watchfulness, rejoicing in His mercy. Rejoice in the Lord. And Paul said again, I say rejoice. You see, our greatest need, church, has been resolved. You know what our greatest need was? We were sinners lost and separated from the God of all creation. And He gave us Jesus to bridge that gulf. That's all we needed for all eternity. That's it in a nutshell. And that's been granted to us. Beyond that, the Holy Spirit, His Word, so many things, the body of Christ, a reason for you and I to rejoice and be glad. I love it. In fact, we were to throw back to the Old Testament. Nehemiah says that even that, that the joy of the Lord is my strength, beyond joy, but it can strengthen you for this world that you live in. 
I'm telling you, looking forward, you better have a lot of joy stored up because I think 2017 is going to take a lot away or seek to take a lot of our joy away. So we need to be deep in the Word and full of His Spirit and looking towards the Lord, the author and finisher of our faith, so that we have the joy of the Lord to be our strength in whatever we're going to face in the, in the days, weeks, months, and years to come. You see, Jesus is such a great place to look. The Holy Spirit, the Word, all these things. So the verse 1 reminds us, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for the praise of the upright is beautiful. Move with me and down to verse 6. It says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. It says, And by all the host of them, by the breath of His mouth. I love this. First of all, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made. Now I'm going to take you back in the Old Testament a little bit. That word made here in 33 reflects back to the word creation in Genesis 1.1. You see, in Genesis 1-1, it's an amazing word. It's the word bara. Bara means that God took a scoop of dirt, a few molecules, compressed them. No, it didn't. Bara says that He took nothing and created everything. Did you get that, church? He didn't need molecules. He didn't need dirt. He didn't need engineers. He didn't need our permission. It says, in the beginning, God created bara. He spoke it from nothing. And here the psalmist is saying, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And all the host of them, by the breath of His mouth, a mere breath of His mouth created all that we see. It was nothing for Him. It's effortless for Him. Nothing is too hard for Him. Nothing is impossible for Him. Why do I rejoice? Because nothing is too difficult for Him. Why not rejoice? Because the Word He's given to me. How strong and powerful the Word of God is. Ian e. Bounds is one of my favorite authors in prayer. If you want to read up on some things on prayer, E.M. Bounds. He's an amazing man when it comes to prayer. Good Methodist brother that we learn a lot of things from concerning prayer. But he says that the Word of God is the fulcrum by which we place the lever of prayer across. And it moves all things mightily. The Word of God is the foundation. Prayer is the lever. Put those two things together and nothing lies beyond the reach of God except that which lies outside the will of God, R.G. Lee once said. You see, nothing is too difficult for Him. Nothing is beyond Him. And He wants you and I as His child to call upon Him. To go to Him through His Word in prayer. It's so important that when we pray to the Father, we use the Word of God to pray back to the Father. The psalmist here is saying that by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and the host of them by the breath of His mouth. It was nothing. It was effortless. The word of God is so strong. Now, last week as I thought about Pastor Craig preaching out of Psalm 1 and, and, and one of the verses, one of my favorite verses I wrote down here is, but His delight is in the law of the Lord and the law He meditates day and night. That word delight means to grab hold of God's Word, and I think in a unique way. Now, I don't want to take away from what Pastor Craig said, but this is just in my, my own heart and mind here. When it comes to delighting in God's Word, it, it means that you and I, first of all, we, we, we hear God's Word, we read God's Word, we study God's Word, we memorize God's Word, and we meditate on God's Word. You see, most of us just hear and read God's Word. And when we just hear and read God's Word, we're hanging on to God's Word by our thumb and by our finger. And it's very easy to pull it out of our lives. But when we hear and read and study and memorize and meditate on God's Word, we get a grip on God's Word. 
We get a grip. Beverly knows this. We talked to our college students through the years, years and years and years about getting a grip on God's Word. You see, when you delight on God's Word, you get a grip on God's Word. And when you've got a grip on God's Word, God's Word has a grip on your life. And it begins to transform your life. I was speaking to my brother in the restroom as we were getting ready for this service, and I just started sharing about my past. I grew up unchurched. I was 20 when I became a Christian. I had a speech impediment. I had no education hardly going on for me. I was socially promoted very much so throughout my life. And so when I went to college as a new Christian, feeling God's call on my life, and I met Suzanne Rich at Tacoa Falls Bible College, she said, Son, the Holy Spirit better be with you because I don't think you're going to make it. <laughs> English teacher. And I hadn't made it far, but I've made it. You see, and a lot of that has to do with me getting a grip on God's Word and God's Word getting a grip on my life and giving me that which I don't have. I have this with His Holy Spirit and my joy fixed on Him. That's what I have to get me through life. And it's gotten me through a lot of life and will continue to get me through a lot of life. You see, the Word of God is so important that we need to rejoice in the Word of God. It's so powerful, the Word of God. And it goes on to say to meditate on it day and night. The word meditation means that we hold on to the Word of God to it. It does something in our life that only the Word of God can do through the Holy Spirit in transforming us. Uh, one of the joys that I have is, as we've been doing it for well over 20-something years, it started with ministry in the Keys, and we helped a, a little church in, in Key West, and we went year and year and year, and we saw so many salvations, and we began to do some discipleship and mission work, and, and we just fell in love with that place, and so we started going back after we had left the work and ministry of that church, and, and we go back every summer. So on my birthday, April 20th, if you're wanting to know, but anyway, April 20th, and Bass Pro is a favorite place I love to shop. But anyway, so... But, but April 20th, my wife gives me the, 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 the privilege of, of, of making our deposit and sending it off to uh, the condos we usually stay at and enjoy ourselves uh, in the Lord's creation. And, and so on April 20th, 2010, as, as, as literally I'm getting excited about that, a little event called a BP oil spill happened in the Gulf. And within a few weeks, the tragedy and the enormity of that, that spill was amazing. And, and, and people got concerned about that oil coming down the, the, the Tampa side and around the Keys and up the East Coast Seaboard and talking about all that it was going to destroy, catastrophic, beyond what was happening in the Gulf. And a pastor friend of mine who called, knowing that I worked in the area of prayer and worked with churches in Georgia, said, will you please have your churches and pastors pray for us? I said, we'll be glad to, brother. I said, I, I've got a keen interest invested in the Keys. We love the Keys. We love the people. And it's a place that the Lord restores us when we go on vacation. So certainly, I'll, I'll pray with you. He said, but here's a verse the Lord has given us. We were meditating on God's Word as a group of pastors in the South Florida Keys areas and said, here's what the Lord said to us. And it comes out of this passage. He said in verse 7, He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. The Lord has given us that. We don't know how that's all going to work out, but we feel like that's a part of God's promise of helping us and rescuing us from the oil that's up in the Gulf. So I agreed and agreed with Him, and, and we begin to pray that verse back to the Father, asking the Father to, to work through this verse in some miraculous way. You know what happened a little later? Well, the, the governors all called for prayer. Remember, uh, Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, Florida, they all called for prayer. You know what happened? If you go, you can go... And Google this, and it says that, a, that an eddy formed in May. An eddy's a swirl of water. It happens all the time in the ocean, and it directs currents and things. Not uncommon. 
What is uncommon about this eddy was this eddy formed in May right after this group began to pray and it was the largest eddy ever formed in the Gulf of Mexico. And it lasted longer than any eddy ever lasted in the Gulf of Mexico. And do you remember the models they showed on TV? What happened? That oil, it was hanging down, going down, going down, heading towards Tampa and the Keys and all of a sudden it made a loop back up and then it continued to loop around in itself. And all that oil was deposited over there in the Gulf. Now it was difficult for the folks of Louisiana, but it spared the keys in the East Coast seaboard. You see what that oil did? That oil went back to a storehouse and was held. People say, oh, that's, that's, that, that's man, that's cool. That's, you know, that's convenient. That's, no, that's miraculous. That a small group of pastors in Florida called out to the God of all creation. He gave them a word. They prayed the word back. They trusted Him. Nothing hocus-pocus. Nothing odd. Just being honest before the Lord. And the Lord inclined His ear and His hand and His word and radically did something on our landscape and our world. You see, God's word is powerful. That's just one illustration that I had that I was a part of. And when I was reading through this, I reminded myself of that event. How God did that. See, rejoice in the Lord and all that He's done. And as a result, we rejoice in His Word as well. Another place we rejoice is in His sovereignty. Look at verse 11. It says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. Brother Dave's going to take a group out here this afternoon and share the Gospel. Encourage people to get to know one another and possibly have a chance to share the Gospel as well. You see, Luke 19.10 is the plans of the Father's heart. Because it was Jesus' heart, Luke 19.10 says, to seek and to save that which was lost. You see, Jesus' heart was towards lost people, that they might know the Father. The Father's heart is towards lost people. Our heart needs to be towards lost people. Our church's heart needs to be towards lost people, that they may know Jesus and all that comes with knowing Jesus, all the joy that comes from that relationship with Christ. You see, it says here that the plans of His heart to all generations. They stand and they stand. You see, the, when you start talking about the sovereignty of God, I travel around the state, not so much preaching so much, but, but traveling around the state working in areas of mediation and working in areas of pastoral care, and I do work in the areas of prayer and renewal and things like that. But when I begin talking sometimes from a pulpit or in a congregation about the sovereignty of God, in this climate sometimes people get a little nervous theologically. What do you mean by the sovereignty of God? How does that relate to me? Well, I'm a simpleton. From South Carolina. Go Tigers! But anyway, <laughs> sorry, Bama. Sorry, Bama. What I'm saying is this. Here's my theological view of God's sovereignty. And this is my song, Brother Daniel. This is my song. Pastor Craig gets to preach and sing. I get to preach and sing. Here it goes. He's got the whole world in his hands. 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 Hands. That's all I need theologically. It really is. Now you may need more, and that's fine. And you may pursue more, and that's fine. But for me to know that God is the God of all creation, the universe, He's sovereign, and He has the whole world in His hands, I go to sleep at night with that. I rest with that. I live in that. I believe that. And I share that. He's got the whole world in His hands. I rejoice that He is sovereign, God of all creation. And so my purpose is to find out what His purpose is, which is to seek and to save that which is lost, and to find out how I can fulfill His purpose and plan for my life. 
1850, England, young man named James. I love this story, and you'll know I tell a lot of stories about history. It's just kind of where I live. And, and, and James' grandfather was a preacher, and his daddy was a preacher, and so everyone expected James to be a preacher. But James' grandpa was poor, and his daddy was poor, and James did not want to be poor in England in 1850. He wanted to be a lawyer with means so he could marry his sweetheart who wanted a nice home and things. And that's where he was going. His father and mother were away from a retreat and he went into his father's study and he came across his father's prayer journal and he began to read in that prayer journal where his father had been praying for James to come to know Jesus intimately. Not just in his head, but in his heart. Me and my wife is a prayer warrior, an intercessor. She has a great prayer journal. Brother, I, I made a mistake one time of opening the prayer journal, found my name, never again. <laughs> no, sir. And the bad thing was there was a lot of things checked off and a few things to come. So anyway, James's heart was softened. He knelt and asked Jesus into his heart, not just his head. And when his parents got back, he shared that and they were excited. James would go on to, to, to move away from the relationship with his sweetheart, to move away from his desire to be a lawyer. He went on to school, to seminary, and then James went to China for 51 years. And over those 51 years, James produced over 200 churches, almost 1,000 missionaries, over 125,000 people during that era and time that James ministered as Hudson Taylor, the modern missionary of today we know. 125,000 people came to Christ because he aligned his will with the Father's will and plan and purpose. You see, if I'm doing my thing, I better be sovereign. Did you get that? But if I'm doing His thing, He better be sovereign. And He is. That's a good thing. What's amazing is that today they tell us, if you go to statistics, they look and say that somewhere between 75,000 and 125,000 people come to know Jesus every day around the world. That's amazing. That's amazing. Do you know that almost 25% of the 100-something thousand people who come to faith in Christ are from China? China. One-fifth, one-fourth of all of those believers that we're seeing today from the gospel from China. Hudson Taylor, I'll take it one more. I do Olympic ministries for the convention, then Mission Board Now. I was in Beijing, Tiananmen Square. You know Tiananmen Square, what it's famous for? And I'm sharing the gospel in Tiananmen Square during the Olympics, and this person suddenly steps back and says, you're a believer. I said, yes, I'm a believer. They said, are you a state believer, a Holy Spirit believer? I thought, what do you mean by that? I said, you know, I'm not so sure. They meant, are you a part of the state church in your country? Are you a part of the Holy Spirit church in your country? Not just something you go through the motion, but something you are in your heart. I'm a Holy Spirit Christian as far as I know, brother. He said, I'm a Holy Spirit Christian. I am one of Hudson Taylor's disciples. Beijing, Tiananmen Square, all those years later. I'm a Holy Spirit Christian. I'm one of Hudson Taylor's disciples still reverberating going forward because his will linked with the father's will carried out the father's purpose seeking to save that which is lost it's amazing rejoicing in the lord rejoicing in his word rejoicing in his sovereignty verse 13 tells us that we need to also to rejoice in his watchfulness the lord looks from heaven and he sees all the sons of men i love that some some psalmist tells us that he never sleeps nor slumbers and that is good. I'm going to be honest. My wife knows this. I had a restful night last night. Oh, 
I kept thinking, what am I doing? Why did I agree? Why did I tell brother, Pastor Craig, I would preach at my home church? Man, there's nothing that makes me more nervous. In fact, I had to leave the last church. But anyway, that's another thing. <laughs> Truth be known, no, I just can't. But nervous, because just thinking about because I, I wanted to please the Father. I wanted to please my pastor. I wanted to, to please my church. You know, all these things. But then I was reminded, listen, this is not about pleasing people more than it is about carrying out my will and purpose. How I've designed you and crafted you. And I'm going to be watching over you that morning. And it brought me comfort. You see, sometimes when God's watching over us, it brings comfort. To be honest, some of us, and I'll be transparent, I don't always walk perfect in the will of God. So when I know that God's watching over me and I'm not walking perfect, I'm a little concerned until I get that right with the Father. It's just reality. But He watches over us, even in our foolishness. Some of you may know, some may not. I ride sport bikes, adventure bikes, all kinds of motorcycles. I've fallen off a lot of them, and that may be the problem there. But, but <clears throat> just a few months ago, I was riding. I was supposed to meet someone. He didn't come. I said, I'm going to go ride myself in the, in the woods. So, so I'm riding by myself. I know, never do that. And so I, I'm riding by myself, a 555-pound sport adventure bike. I'm a buck 45. Do the math. It's not always good. And so anyway, so I ride, and I fall over, and I hurt my ankle, and I can't get the bike up, and I'm seven miles in the woods. No one knows where I am. I call for help. They ask, is it 911? No, there's no blood, no gunshots. I'm, I'm walking. He said, can't help you then. So anyway, <clears throat> he gave me the number to the forestry agent. And so I said, call the forestry. And they said, well, that's great. That's fine. But we'll be there in four or five hours. And so I said, okay. I said, Lord, are you near? <laughs> yes, I'm near. I'm always watching over you. I'm watching when you're walking with me. I'm watching when you're walking away. I'm watching over you. I'm, I'm the God of all that I create, and I love that which I've created, and I'm watching over you. And he was. I cried out. The next thing I know, a jeep turned around about a few hundred yards down the road. And I ran down and surprised him. And, you know, when one hillbilly sees another hillbilly, we kind of just kind of nod the head and knew that something bad went on. So, so we did that, and he helped me get the bike and out the woods. You see, God's watchfulness, even over the, the, the trivial things of life, he's watching over us. So how much more does He watch over us over the eternal things of life? Careful, needful things of life. Rejoice in the Lord, His Word, His sovereignty, His watchfulness. And then I love this. The psalmist boils all this down and I think he must look at his life. Like I look at my life thinking, what am I doing, Lord? And why is it that you're still with me? And then he goes down and it tells us here in verse 22, let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. After all this chaotic going on and craziness and, and life in and out of life and things, it always comes back to His mercy and His grace. And I'm thankful that it comes back to mercy and grace because I need mercy and grace from a sovereign God of creation every day of my life, fresh and new. I love it, and I know Pastor Craig preached a little bit about failure, and it's a, a quote that kind of stirred in my mind when I heard that sermon the other week. It said that the real meaning of mercy is that it can look on failure and still see a future. That's God's mercy. It can look down and still see a future because it knows that, that that child that turns back to Him can be restored and forgiven and, and set anew. So I'll close with this illustration. Back in the 1800s, 1865, Lee had surrendered at Appomattox. President Lincoln was on the balcony of the White House and he spoke to the crowd and Senator Harlan asked, what shall we do with these rebels? 
And the crowd, many of the crowd said, Hang them! Hang them. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Oddly enough. We don't want them. Throw them away. Tad, Abraham Lincoln's 11-year-old son, stepped up to his dad's coattail and yanked and said, Papa, Papa, not hang them. Hang on to them, for they are us. Hang on to them, for they are us. Mercy from an 11-year-old son. You see, we see the demonstrations of mercy and grace all around us throughout history and day-to-day life. But most importantly in the Scriptures, it reminds us that we are to be people of mercy and grace because we are both the recipients and the givers. So let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you, rejoicing in your all that you've given. Rejoice your word, sovereignty, your watchfulness, and your mercy. Let's pray. Father,